ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. Welcome back to another episode of Bad Jew. With me today is Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. And today we're going to be talking about the relevance of Torah to Christianity and anything outside of Judaism, which I think isn't something that's talked about very often. Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler really approaches this from a very unique standpoint. I think it's really, really amazing. Uh, Rivka, how are you doing today? Thank God. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful to have you. As you know, a right of entry onto this podcast is the Bad Jew Challenge, where you tell your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? I am ready. Get the clock going. All right. <laughs> okay, so I was born into an assimilated Jewish family, and I didn't become actually interested in Judaism until after I finished grad school. Um, and I... I, after I finished grad school, I thought, well, I had to be a student. So I signed up for this 16-week class called Introduction to Judaism, which was being offered by the local board of rabbis in the American community where I lived. And I didn't understand at the time that it was actually a class for people who were considering conversion. Um, so the, everybody in the class was not Jewish except for me, but I didn't know anything. So I was kind of on their level. So um, then I went on and I had an adult bat mitzvah with the reform movement. Um, and, and after I finished that, in the community, where I came from, there was this Jewish American festival every summer downtown. And there was a booth that said, test your Jewish IQ. And I'm thinking, well, I just had this whole introduction to Judaism class and I had this adult bat mitzvah, so I'm like super Jew, so I know everything there is to know. So I took this quiz and I knew zero. I got all 10 questions wrong um, because it was a um, it was an Orthodox rabbi who was sponsoring the test and um, he was trying to get Jews interested in learning about Judaism. And so he set me up with a learning partner. Um, I had no intention of ever becoming an Orthodox Jew. I just was, I, I was, it was like anthropology for me. I was just learning. Um, but as opportunities came up, as holidays came up and stuff, and I tried things, I gradually saw that there was a lot of, of relevance in the Torah for me. Um, I actually didn't know that there were, or I thought all the Orthodox Jews in the world were old, <clears throat> and they all lived in Miami Beach, and that was the um, that was where where orthodoxy would end. I had no idea that orthodoxy still existed, but I gradually became committed to Judaism. I will tell you, I did an Eshat Torah discovery seminar. I don't know even if they do it anymore. Um, in the 1980s, that changed my life, and so I've now been Torah observant for about 20 years. I'm sorry, more than 30 years. Um, and in that time, I've had I would say three great issues about which I have become. Uh, passionate. One is the intersection of the role of women in Judaism, which was huge for me in the beginning. We're not going to talk about that today. The second was, is Israel. And um, 13 years ago, about, my family moved from America to Israel. And the third is Geula, redemption, the end of days, of which what we're going to talk about today, I think, is definitely a part. And I wanted to mention that um, I do think of myself as kind of an out-of-the-box Jew. And in fact, I was featured in a book about um, about 18 Orthodox Jews who are out of the box in one way or another that was written by Gila Mandelson. It's called Finding Ourselves in the Crowd. And that's my story. How am I doing on time? Oh, you're doing great. You have one minute left. If you that, I said everything going. there is to know. <laughs> that's pretty no, incredible. I, I'm very cute, children. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really, you know, I, I want to point out, by the way, before the interview started, Rivka had mentioned to me that she had been practicing her four-minute intro. 
and that kind of got me alarmed. And I, as, as you were doing it, I felt like you, you know, I can, I can sense that maybe you felt you were on, under the gun, like you were, you were going for it. You really had this prepared. So great job, doctor. Seriously. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, this question that we're asking today was asked by the Bad Jew WhatsApp community. This is a judgment-free WhatsApp community with Jews of all walks of life that come onto this WhatsApp group chat to discuss not just the episodes, but in general, to just ask questions about Judaism and things that they have struggled with in their entire lives. So if you're interested in joining the Bad Jew WhatsApp group chat, be sure to go to my email, badjewpod at gmail.com, email me, and submit to join the Badju WhatsApp group chat. Also, you can find it in the link tree. There is a form that you can submit where you can join the WhatsApp group chat. So thank you so much. Again, by the way, you do not have to be Jewish to join the group. Um, as for Dr. Adler, you have a very specific, very unique focus in Jewish studies that some would even consider controversial, and that is the relevance of Torah to non-Jews. Why do some Jews get worked up about teaching Torah to outsiders? Okay, so that's a great question. I think it's because we, post-Holocaust, have been raised with either the spoken or unspoken message that, that non-Jews, especially Christians, are dangerous. And they have been, historically, for 2,000 years, it has been um, not always safe or smart to engage with uh, with people from a Christian background. And so many people have that, Jews have that feeling that's like seeped into their their bones. And so now we're talking about sharing Torah with these people. In general, there's a couple of criticisms that I hear all the time. One is, don't you know that they're playing you, basically, and all they want is just to, they just want to convert you. So they're just like kind of sucking up and they just want to get to a place where they can wash you in the blood of Jesus. Or the other criticism that I get all the time is, why are you wasting your time with Christians when, when there's so many Jews who don't know anything? And, and the, your efforts to teach Torah should be directed to Jews. So those are the, those are the two things. But I think that the, the freak out factor comes from Jews who see all Christians like they're all the same. And they only have one agenda and they can't be trusted. And we have to be cautious in, in all of our interactions with them. Fascinating. So I have a few prejudices myself. The, the first one is that Orthodox Jews only come from Florida. That's the first thing. Um, <laughs> the second thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The second prejudice I have, the, the actual prejudice, is that I, in some kind of way, I can sympathize to an extent what some of the what, what some of the others are saying about christians because you know at least with other religions it's I, i've i've just i've seen in different denominations and i've learned like especially from the evangelicals right there is an agenda behind what the evangelicals are doing which is that they want to support israel so that way israel goes into a war that eventually leads ultimately into the second coming of christ so we're really just a vehicle for evangelicals to bring their agenda to light. That makes me uncomfortable. But you, I don't know if there's denominations that you specifically work with or don't work with, if you're accepting all kinds of forms of Christianity. 
Okay. If I believe that about all Christians, uh, I would have the same reaction. Okay. But just like you and I know, there's not just one kind of Jew and there are people who just think all the Jews are exactly the same and we all think the same and all that stuff. It's, it is not only equally untrue about Christians, but it, there's some huge number of Christian denominations that, you know, they have a difference of opinion or a difference in theology. And so they like make a new church or they make, you know, they make a new denomination. And so it is impossible to say anything really serious about all Christians. So here's the thing is that my work is based on relationships. I know these people. I they're, they come to Israel. They come to my home. We have conversations. They they tell me their stories. They, I don't, if, if I feel like somebody who's interacting with me has some agenda that is harmful to my people in any way, I, I'm not interested in interacting with them. But I'm telling you from personal experience that they're not all the same. They're not all like that. They don't all have right. that. And, right. and so I vet the people that I work with. I think that's a very fair point. And I like, I, I actually very much like that approach. And one thing I do not want to insinuate by any means is that all evangelicals or all Christians follow or subscribe to that agenda or those beliefs. So that's not what I'm saying at all. It's just, it's, it's a, you know, quite frankly, it's a, it's a fear of mine, you know, and that's something I need to work on. I'm going to admit personally. It's a fair thing to put on the table. And I appreciate that you gave me a chance to respond to it because I know a lot of people think that here's another, another thing that people think. And that actually I thought when I got started in this, I thought truly really that the Torah belongs to the Jews and what in the world are you, you know, Susie and Joe Christian doing expressing interest in Torah when you've got your own sacred literature, you've got your own books, stay out of our backyard and, you know, you do your thing, we'll do our thing and, and, and all that. And I was a little shaken up when I met people who were doing things that I thought were, I always thought were Jewish things. Like they, they refer to the Jewish holidays as biblical feasts or biblical festivals. And many of them have stopped observing Christmas and Easter, because they say that those have pagan origins, and they're interested in connecting with the biblical feast. So they will say, I had Passover, I had Sukkot, and their observances don't exactly look like ours, but um, they're trying their best to, to do these biblical feasts. And I thought, like, these are our holidays. What are you doing? Like, they would say things like, oh, I don't eat pork and I don't eat shellfish. Now, they don't keep kosher the same way that perhaps you and I keep kosher, but the Bible says you're not supposed to eat pork and you're not supposed to eat shellfish, and so they don't eat those foods, and they're very, very strict about it. Or they would say, or they study the weekly Torah portion, or they study Hebrew, or they have Shabbat, they make challah. They, and and I was not happy about this when I first learned about it, because I really felt like it was um, cultural appropriation. Yeah. And they, right. And there are some times where they get things wrong. And I'll tell you the example that I think is the, the funniest example and where that led me to. So there's something called snap on tzitzit. Okay. It's a piece of leather with a string that, that, Men from this world will snap onto their belt loops because they understand the thing about the strings that it says it in the Bible, but they miss the whole thing about that it has to be attached to a four-cornered garment. 
And so they, they, if you, if you look up Snap-on CC, you'll find a website that sells them. It's, it's actually kind of amusing. But then I realized that that doesn't come from ill will. It comes from the fact that Jews haven't taught them what tzitzit really are and what the Bible really says. And so I realized that um, there needs to be that it is true that God gave the Torah to the Jewish people. That's 100% true. And of course, you may be familiar with the, the rabbinic story that first they offered it to all the other nations and they all said, no, we don't want. The fact is that this is what I have come to understand now. And it's and this is what my second book is really all about, is that God gave the Torah to the Jewish people not to be our ex exclusive property for all time, but to guard it until such time as there are people from the nations who are interested in hearing what the universal messages are. Okay, so take something as simple as the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, so the Ten Commandments, except for Shabbat, I would say, they are universal wisdom that any society could benefit from, you know, not sleeping with your neighbor's partner, with your neighbor's spouse, or not stealing from people, not killing people, or being respectful to your parents, all of those things, there's... There, it's, it is Torah wisdom, but it is relevant to all of humanity. And so what I came to understand is what you're probably familiar with the expression or which means a light to the nations. And what I used to think that meant was the Jews will all move back to Israel. We will create this perfect society based on Torah values. And the rest of the world will say, wow, that's really cool. I want to be like the Jews. I want to, I admire that. Let's create that in our world in our country and that's sort of a passive relationship right like we're just modeling but in fact I, I have come to believe and published a whole book about this idea that it's much more active than that it's not just they observe us and learn stuff but we are the teachers of the nations now not everything in Torah is relevant for for non-Jews but there are many things that are there are many aspects of Torah wisdom that can make anybody a better person, uh, closer to God, and so forth. And so, so that's the that's the paradigm that I operate with. So it's it's interesting because like it doesn't surprise me to hear that there are aspects of the Torah that are relevant not just to Jews but to everybody. In fact, a lot of the ways that Torah is taught today to young Jewish professionals, at least here in Los Angeles, I know that it's actually all over the world that it's taught in similar ways like this but they teach a very practical very approachable way of grasping Judaism right so you know I hear a lot of rabbis including my rabbi my personal rabbi Rabbi Jack Malol he's really good at kind of breaking down a Torah concept into a, a daily use that people can use you know he talks a lot about dating advice right because that's what all the guys and girls and all genders want to hear about is well uh what you know how how do i how do i date in a healthy way and it's not even about how to date jewishly but it just happens to be jewishly right so there's always good dating advice that comes up there's also good advice for mm, i would say connecting with people on different emotional levels connecting with yourself mental health physical health how we how we observe certain holidays and how to approach it from a traditional standpoint. Rabbi Jack Malol, by the way, he's someone who is orthodox, right? So it's broken down into a very traditional way that is very approachable for a lot of people. That dating advice, those, you know, 
interpersonal relation advice, the the you know even business advice sometimes is applicable to non-Jews, right? So it's it's relevant Correct. in that regards. Also, the idea of refining your character, right? Okay, right. So I'm assuming that the world that you're speaking of is largely a world of of not Torah observant Jews in in that community, but it's it's ta- it's deriving lessons from this ancient wisdom and making it applicable to your everyday life. So I would say that with the people coming what I call current and former Christians, because not all of them, as long, the longer that they're involved in learning authentic Torah, the less they identify as like Sunday church going Christians, and they change some of their self identification. Mm-hmm. But they're also looking for the God piece, which which is also there. How, how am I as a non-Jew supposed to relate to God? What does God expect of me? And that's probably not a question that I'm guessing the young professionals in LA are asking, but, but both of those things are true. How to, how do you be, how do you behave in as an adult in an ethical, moral way? How do you refine your character? How do you be closer to God? How do you be prepared? How do you how do you understand what's going on in the world and the, the bigger picture? Because we're living in kind of a chaotic time. And how do you put that in some kind of perspective? And the Torah has enormous vessels of wisdom about these kinds of things that I believe we are supposed to share because it's it's not stuff we came up with, it's stuff that God gave us in order that we be like kind of the teachers, the spiritual teachers of the world. Now I don't go down on a street corner, you know, and, and try to solicit business, so to speak with people who are not interested, right? I'm only interested in, in sharing with people who are interested, but I'll give you an example on Passover. And this is kind of controversial, but I'll tell you and all of your listeners that um, we were asked by a friend of ours who comes from the Christian world if she could bring some Christians to our Passover Seder. Now, that creeps out a lot of Jews, but my husband and I discussed it because we are in this kind of work. And I know that some Christians have misappropriated Passover and made it all about their God. And so I said, these are people who are coming. They were Americans who were visiting Israel. They specifically asked, they want to have an authentic Jewish experience of Passover. So we said, yes. And we ended up gearing our entire Passover Seder to them. Okay. After, and I said to them, listen, Jews don't like it when you, when you make the Passover Seder about Jesus, that's, that's offensive. That's replacement theology. And yeah. we're going to give you an authentic Jewish Seder. Okay. Now it had to be kind of simplified and we had to skip some things because it was only beginners, you know, they don't have the vocabulary and so forth. But right. one person after contacted me and said, she writes for a Christian paper that has tens of, you know, we as Jews, we're like such a small people, but there's like 2.2 billion Christians in the world. And um, so their publications and their media have huge audiences. Okay. And so she said she has thousands, tens of thousands of readers. And would I write an op-ed introducing her readers to something that's like authentic Jewish tradition and so forth. Now, who better to hear it from than an actual Jew instead of Right. Instead of trying to it being filtered from maybe like not such a kosher source or or not such a pro-Jewish source or whatever. So that came out of this experience of sharing a Passover Seder 
with this table full of non-Jews. Absolutely. So what, what you're saying, and this is what I'm kind of getting, is that your work very much is advocacy for Judaism to Christian audiences in a way that's appropriate. So that way they do not, and I'm going to use this word kind of harshly here, bastardize what is a Jewish custom. So taking something like Passover, making it about Jesus, I'd be offended, right? It's totally, you know, Jesus wasn't even involved in the, in the story of Passover. I just went right. to Haggadah. I know Passover just passed, right? We we know we did not read Jesus' right. name once, right? Right. So, right. yeah, it's, it's, to me, it feels like appropriation. I feel like, so I'll, I'll tell you a story, actually, a, a moment where I, I kind of, I saw someone who was about to appropriate Judaism and, and I had to, I had to stop it. I, I, I at least had to say something. I don't know what this guy ended up doing. I was in a barbershop in Jerusalem on my last visit to Israel and, you know, dire need of a haircut because every now and then this style kind of bushes out and it looks a little bit like Einstein on the sides. I like it short on the sides. <laughs> so I'm in this barbershop and I meet this nice guy. I'm, you know, getting my haircut. He's waiting in his turn to get his hair, haircut. And he tells me that he just bought a prayer shawl. He just bought some seat seat. I'm like, wow, congratulations. That's amazing. He says, yeah, thank you. I'm going to get baptized today. It's in the Jordan River. And I said, wait, so you're Christian. So you're, I, I first asked, wait, are you, um, are you a Messianic Jew? Are you a, a Jew for Jesus? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm actually just a, a Methodist Christian. I said, oh, okay. What, what are you doing with a, with a prayer shawl? You know, what are you doing with seat seat? Probably something that has... Hebrew inscribed on it, you know, has a 600. We bought in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, uh, right. He's in Jerusalem, right? He bought it in Jerusalem. He says, well, I think it would make it extra holy if I had it on when I was dipped into the water. And I said, you're not supposed to go in the water with that. He says, I'm not. I'm like, no, no. And I said to him, I said to him, do you even know anything about the tzitzit? And he goes, well, I know that Jews wear it. I said, okay, that's a start. Jewish man. <laughs> Right. Jewish men, Jewish men wear it, right? He just said he just knew that Jews wore it. He didn't say that Jewish men. So the bottom line is he didn't know anything about ZZ. You mentioned the snap-on ZZ that you had heard that you, that had heard of. He might have been better off with that, but <laughs> he bought authentic ZZ that's meant for holy prayer, you know, specifically for Jews, and he was going to appropriate its usage for what he thought was going to make the experience more enriching. At the end of the day, I don't know what he ended up deciding doing, but I did say I did speak up, and I was like, listen, you can't. Well, you shouldn't do that. Yes, you can do it. You have free will, but you really shouldn't do that because I can tell you right now, I wouldn't wear a Christian cross <laughs> and say that it's a Jewish star. I just wouldn't. It's okay, so so can I comment on that? Because it's actually it's a very it's a very good question, um, or it's a very good story to make this point. They are like many of them; their hearts are open. Like he said to you, I think it'll be holier or whatever if if he goes through this um, if he goes through this ritual in the Jordan River, in Israel, you know, wearing this. But they are many of them are unschooled, and how and why wouldn't they be? You don't you're not born knowing knowing what a talus is or what tzitzit are for. So somebody has to teach them. So either somebody somebody from this world once said to me. We know we're going to make mistakes, but they are mistakes of ignorance, not mistakes of ill will. Yes. And who's supposed to tell them the correct thing if not the Jews? Now, if all the Jews say, I'm not getting involved, I'm, I'm not talking to Christians, I'm not discussing any of this stuff, 
then they're just going to keep fumbling around the same way that a Jew, let's say you had a Jew who didn't know anything, was Jewish, but didn't know anything, didn't live near any Jews. The only thing that they had was like video, YouTube and, and English books. And they were trying to figure out how to live a Jewish life. They have no teachers. And okay. So they're going to make mistakes because there's nobody to explain to them how you do that. I believe that we're in, we're in a process that's actually, I think, just really starting out. And because of the process is just really starting out, things like that are going to happen. In a gentle, loving way, we can redirect. And we can say, snap on seat seat, it does not conform to what God was talking about. And I understand you're trying to approximate what you know what you see, and you don't see the whole garment, the four cornered garment underneath it, so you don't know better. But let me explain to you what it means. A lot of people coming from the Christian world, you should know, are biblical liter literalists, which means they have their let's say American Christians, they have their English translation of a Greek translation of a Hebrew text, and they take that word very seriously. And very literally. And of course, that's not how Jews interact with the Bible at all. And because we have the whole rabbinic tradition to back us up. And so they don't, I'm saying that they're, it's not from ill will. Like this guy doesn't want to be disrespectful to Tzitzit or to his, his talis, to his prayer shawl. He just doesn't know better and he needs a Jew to, to explain it. So they're like, they're like, you know, early in the process and the whole process of, of the rest of the world, understanding what God put in the Torah. We are just like at the very beginning of that. Um, we're not even at a place where all Christians are interested. In fact, I, I mentioned the number 2.2 billion Christians. It's been estimated that maybe, maybe, maybe 10% of them are kind of on this path of being interested in Torah things, being interested in learning from Jews and so forth. Okay. So that's, 22, I think it's 22 million people, which is more than the number of Jews that there are in the world, but that's only 10%. That means there's plenty of Christians who still want to convert us, still don't like us, still think that we're wrong theologically and all that stuff. That's, that's just a reality. So it's not every Christian everywhere. It's just this, this uh, narrow, well, it's not so narrow, it's 22 million people, but um, <laughs> yeah. there's, a lot, there's, there's plenty of work to do. It's an unfathomable lot of people, and there's a lot of work to do, as you just said. I also wanted to point out, you know, going back to the motivations of why Christians are interested in Judaism. This, so there were some articles I had looked up ahead of time, and so I was able to find this article from Yale, um, just talking about, you know, really the the intersection between Judaism and Christianity. Of course, it's very obvious with Jesus, but in creating the scripture citing Jesus, though the gospel's author shifted that focus, ultimately raising the Christian the importance and uh, authority of the Jewish Bible. So this this was a trend. That started in this specific screen grab it doesn't say but it was you know it's it's been happening pretty much since the creation of america so there is a strong tie of america you know america's birth in 1776 till now where you see a lot of christians taking a lot of you know interesting perspectives on judaism and the authority that it might have but the specifically namely the torah here and then one thing i found as well that was very interesting was that it describes something i never heard of called the seven laws of noah from, oh, wow. You know, have you ever heard of the oh, seven sure. laws? Of yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So can you, can you explain actually a little bit of the context of the seven laws of Noah and how it actually pertains to this conversation? Sure. Absolutely. I also want to say 
<laughs> you said so many interesting things that I have so much to say about. But this is in Hebrew called the Sheva Mitzvot B'nei Noach, the, the Noahide laws. And this is the idea that God gave the rest of the world these seven laws and gave the Jews 613 laws. Okay. And, and so a lot of people in, in my second book, and we're going to hopefully talk about that a little bit more. I wrote, I created a taxonomy of different stages that people go through as they are exposed to authentic Torah. So it may start out, I'm a sort of what I call like a vanilla Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, blah, all that stuff all the way through to I've converted and I've become a Jew. Now, very few of them actually do that, but there is a stopping point with this identity of being a Noahide. What does that mean? It's the Torah's language for how a non-Jew can be right with God. They don't need to become Jews. They don't need to keep all 613 mitzvot. These are the, the seven minimum standards of how you can, as a non-Jew, be in in correct alignment with what God's expectations of you are. Now, the truth is, as you look at this, this is not very time consuming. Okay. Most of them are don't do these things. Okay. So what happens is you, let's say you grew up as a, as you're, you're this Sunday Christian and you decide for whatever your reasons and so forth, that you want to become a, a Noahide, you're going to, you're going to have a big gap in your life because not committing idolatry doesn't take very much time. Not committing blasphemy, not murdering, and all of these kinds of things, this this is not a lifestyle. This is sort of the lowest bar of what God expects of the rest of the world, okay? Jews can be busy with mitzvot literally all day long, and if you took the mitzvot away from a Jew, what would they do all day long? I mean, they would be involved in secular kinds of things and so forth, but so the people that are promoting this identity as becoming a, a Noahide in English is um, is part of what what the Jews are supposed to do is to say to a non-Jew, you do need to let go of your other faith system because that's not what's true. But if you want to be right with God according to the Torah, then here's a place to start. These seven laws, accept these seven laws upon yourself, create an identity for yourself that you identify as a Noahide. And, um, and in that context, you can continue to grow closer to God. Now, I don't push that agenda because I deal with people who, who are all over the spectrum. And, and I don't, I really don't discuss theology. Like I don't discuss Christian theology at all. I've never read the new Testament. I, I have like, you know, I hear the same things that every other American hears about what it says or what it might say or whatever, but I don't really know Christian theology. So I say, and I'm not interested in, in, in dueling perspectives. I say, if you want to learn an authentic Jewish, a Torah perspective on something, what does this Bible verse mean? Why did Jews do this? What, what does God expect from us in this situation? I'm your teacher. But if you want to discuss, you know, why Jews don't believe in Jesus and, and where you see Jesus in the text and why I'm not interested in that. That's not a conversation that I, that I have. So I say all that to say that the Noahide identity and its big brother, excuse me, which you didn't mention, which is called Ger Toshav, actually is a, a standard in Jewish law that does not exist right now because we don't have a high court. We don't have a Sanhedrin that can 
identify this, but before the advent of Christianity, it was not uncommon that you would have somebody who was not Jewish, who was accepted by the high court as a ger toshav, which means they are eligible to live in the land of Israel as as righteous Gentiles. Now, usually I think we think of righteous Gentiles as the, the people in the Holocaust who were good to the Jews, you know, who hid them or whatever, but I'm talking about non-Jews who live according to the Torah's laws for them. So minimally, it's what you said, what you showed, the B'nai Noach thing, the, the Noahide laws, but there's much, much more that they can do. So basically, when you get to that status, it means anything a Jew can do, you may do, but you're not obligated. So a Jew is obligated. If you, if you eat pork, Chaz, you're sinning because you're a Jew. Right. A non-Jew who eats pork, it's not a sin for them. So they can refrain from pork, but if they have a bacon double cheeseburger or whatever, it's not something they have to repent for because they're not obligated. Right, right. Well, there, this is such a dynamic conversation. It really goes into your studies and what you teach. It's, it's really incredible. And so I want to reemphasize the point that for those who are interested in Dr. Rivka Lambert Adler's work, please do email her at Rivka at kotevet.com. Also, you have some books that you have uh, published as well. Uh, what are those books and where can they find them? Okay, so they're, they're available on Amazon. And the first one is called 10 from the Nations, Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews. Thank you. That's the cover. This is the second edition. Basically, this is when I first started understanding that this was a thing. I was going to write an article about it, about non-Jews who were doing Torah things. And a mentor of mine said, oh, there's a book in this. So I gathered the stories of about 40 people who come from Christian backgrounds. They're not, they don't all identify the same now their stories have evolved over time, but they tell how they became interested. And one of the ways, and this goes back to the first clip that you showed, is that a lot of Christians tell me that when they grow up as Christians, as like regular mainstream Christians, they never read what they call the Old Testament, Hebrew scripture. So they may they may know some of the stories and so forth, but their Bible study is really Christian scripture. And when they start reading from what they call the beginning of the book, it blows their mind because they see how God made certain promises to the Jewish people and they're living in a time when these promises are fulfilled. So it, that that shifts their paradigm. So 10 from the Nations is, is an introduction to the stories of people who were born Christian, raised Christian, and have had what I call a Torah awakening of some kind. There's also a section in the back, it's not as extensive, but maybe a dozen Jews like me who interact with people like this. And we tell our stories of why do, why do we do this and what do we think it means and so forth. So that's the first book. Once this book was published, I began to recognize, and I alluded to this before, that a lot of these people are desperate for authentic Torah teaching, and they don't have access to it. Now, it's it's much easier now than it was, let's say, 40 years ago, but because there's so much available online and because so many classic Jewish sources are translated into English and available without having to go to like some weird Hebrew bookstore in some, you know, Jewville somewhere, you can just go online and you can order an English translation of, of the first five books of Moses or, or an explanation of what the holiday of Passover is about or a million other books. So they have better resources, but they don't have teachers. 
most of them don't have teachers. And so I wrote Lighting Up the Nations. If you could show that cover, Lighting Up the Nations is actually a book for Jews to explain what is our responsibility to the rest of the world? What does it mean that God gave the Torah to us? And in what ways are we supposed to share it with the rest of the world? And so that second book, and I just, you don't have the cover for this, but I'm working on the third book in this series. It's called Women, Women from the Nations in the Hebrew Bible. And what it is, a lot of, there's a lot of books about women in the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And it's sort of the same like 10 or 12 women whose stories are always told. And I, and I understood that there are, there are a lot of women who were not born into the nation of Israel, whose stories are in the Bible and their stories are not told. And I wanted to um, shine a light on those stories and also to add to the basic biblical text, all of the rabbinic commentary that I could access to share um, how Jews study Bible, how Jews understand Bible, because I used to think that, so, so yeah, I'm also evolving. I used to think that the biggest difference between Jews and Christians was this issue of Jesus, but it's actually only one of them. I found this other issue that's huge um, that I address in Lighting Up the Nations, and that is that Christians are, are mistaught that the oral law is not sacred, that it's full of witchcraft, demons, that it's not to be trusted. It's not the word of God. It's a, it's the whatever they call it, the word of man. And so, what ends up happening, you know, as a Jew, like we don't even teach our little kids Torah without Rashi, right? Without without rabbinic commentary, and and you can be misled if you don't have the full story. And so, part of my mission is to show this world that what Jews have to contribute to the conversation, among many other things that we've already spoken about, is this different understanding of biblical text and the richness of the backstories of many of these women. So that's the book I'm working on now. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, one thing I'm really inspired by is the fact that your work is really connected to one another. Each of these books that you've created, it really seems like one leads to the other leads to the other. So you really exactly. could frame it as a series of just the studies and the things that you were discovering along the way and the multitude of, of connections that Judaism has to Christianity and the relevance to each other that we have. It really is a symbiotic relationship what it sounds, what it sounds like. So Dr. Adler, I want to thank you again so much for being on the Bad Jew podcast. For those who are listening, thanks for thanks to my bad Jews for tuning in for some good Jewish education, for learning about this controversial topic today. Although personally, I did not think it was too controversial. I think it's something that should be approached by all Jews who are interested in you know learning more and to understand that we have a responsibility, especially with our, our Christian uh, communities, to connect and to learn and to find ways to represent ourselves and to learn from them in meaningful and accurate ways. So again, Dr. Adler, I want to thank you. Wonderful moral of the story. And uh, we'll see you next week on another episode of Bad Jew. Shalom.